Bibles, grab those and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Um, just to come off that a little bit, um, next Sunday, uh, those of you who've been here for the first five weeks of this journey, we're going to have uh, a chance for you to just kind of kind of step up uh, and help out. And we have some tables in the back uh, during Sunday school hour, between services, before services, after services, all of it. Um, just with opportunities where you can, can come alongside um, our nursery volunteers and the kid time volunteers who are, the list is obviously so short of those who just keep having to do it over and over and over again. And I want you to just kind of step up and, and, and volunteer for a, for a short uh, commitment just to, to bring them some relief. Um, and so we'll give you that opportunity next Sunday uh, to kind of round, round out our Perfect Problem video uh, series. And then uh, you'll watch as things start happening. Ramps start getting moved and lines start getting painted. And, and uh, um, it's, I like the, uh, that the videos are wrapping up because it puts a little pressure on Cody, right? Let's get this good project going, Cody. You know, uh, now you're a movie star. You've got to do it. So um, uh, we'll get that going. And, and um, just again, we're just asking for your flexibility and your patience and your understanding as we try to uh, meet this the way that God is leading us to meet it. Um, if you don't have a Bible somewhere, I should have mentioned, there's a blue one in front of you. Uh, you can grab that and follow along with us in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be on page 822. Um, before we jump into that, let's just, let's just pray together. God, we are so thankful, Lord, for all the young families you're sending our way. We're so thankful for, for every person that you have uh, saw fit just to, to send here. Uh, God, we're humbled by it. We don't fully understand it, uh, but we're grateful for it. And God, we just pray that when they come here, they're met by Jesus. Um, and so we ask now as we uh, open your word, God, and really uh, just look at this topic that has traditionally caused controversy. Um, that for some reason, traditionally, it's just stirred up angst. God, we just pray that you'll remove that today and we'll just recognize you as the authority in our lives that you are. Um, and so, Lord, we need you to speak. We need you to teach uh, in, in the ways that only you can. And so we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been going through this book, Colossians, for uh, a few months now as a church, and, and we're getting, honestly, towards the end of the book. We only got a couple weeks left after this one, I think. Uh, and today we reach a section in chapter 3 where Paul addresses the family. And being Father's Day, the timing just works, doesn't it? Uh, I'd like to tell you that we planned that out, that Adam and I mapped that out, and, and we're just such a well-run organization that this is what we had in mind all along. But the truth is we got to verse 17 last week. And so this week we're picking up in verse 18, and that's what happened, all right? But in this section, we won't just look at fathers. Uh, Paul, for us in four verses, addresses for us husbands and wives, children and fathers, and, and kind of he gives a brief overview of how the family unit as a whole should operate and interact with each other. Um, so today we're going to look at the family structure as God designed it, the God-given roles and responsibilities and commands on each part of the family, and then address ways that we can get this wrong. And from the start, I'm owning that discussing roles in marriage and family has always has the potential to be controversial, right? Because all of us in here grew up in different homes. We all experienced different things and different upbringings. We're all, there are differences in the way that each of us operate our homes now. And all that's okay. okay? All that can help make up the diverse mosaic of the church. But that said, there are clear commands, Crystal clear commands and roles given to the family by God and his word. And so I want to address two things just as openly and overtly as I can before we get into this. Number one, we here at First Baptist North believe that the Bible is the word of God. 
The Bible was given to us by God. He inspired the authors of it for the purpose of us knowing who he is and how we're to live in response to that. And so with it being the word of God, we believe that it has authority over our lives. So it has authority over this place. It has authority over us as individuals. It's, it's a lamp to our feet, a guide to our path that tells us the ways to go. And I mention that because I know a couple reservations that will exist today. Maybe some of you here, as we, we make our way through uh, topics on family and marriage, who, as we discuss these things, uh, you, you'll think, wait a minute, this, this guy's pretty young. I mean, he's, he's not as far down the road as I am. Right, he's got a couple kids, but they're pretty young. Why does he think that he can speak into this? And there may be some others who, whose story is just much different than mine. I, see, I grew up in a loving two-parent home. Pretty much everything about my upbringing was ideal. And you might be thinking, man, I, that I can't walk in your pain. Right? That I can't empathize with the limitations you have because of your upbringing. That I just don't understand the hurdles that you faced or are still facing. And I want to address both groups right now by telling you this. You're both absolutely right. You're 100% right. I don't have this husband-dad thing down. I'm still learning. I'm sure, there, I'm sure I made dozens of mistakes this week in my parenting. Some I know of, probably more that I don't even know of yet. I don't have this down. But can we at least be honest with each other this morning? You don't have it down either. And listen, I, I can't go back in time and experience a different upbringing than I had. It's not possible. And I know, I want you to know, I know the effects that a rough upbringing can have on someone. I know a lot of times sins are passed to the next generation. Which is why I will make this commitment to all of you today. I simply will not speak as the authority on family today. I refuse to do it because I'm not it. But I absolutely will point you to the one who is. And the greatest thing that I can tell you about all the verses we're going to read or refer to today is this. I didn't write a single one of them. The word of God is our authority. And so I've painstakingly, as we've formed this message today, I've painstakingly tried to avoid interjecting my opinion into this today. Okay. I'm sure that as we make our way through this and giving examples and applying the truths that you read today, you're going you're to hear some opinions come out. But I'm committed to making sure that all the central truths we talk about today come directly from the word of God. Number two is this. This is an issue that carries much controversy. Oftentimes, we simply don't like what the Bible has to say about marriage and family. And the reason that is is because God didn't consult us or our feelings or our sinful nature when he wrote it. Right? So oftentimes the Bible will call us to things that we don't want to be called to. At first glance, we just can't imagine how that would work out for our good. And logically this makes sense because it's a book written by a holy, perfect God to sinful, limited human beings. So of course in that download, we're going to come to things where we're like, are you sure about that, God? Because he's God and he doesn't work on our levels. So in response to that, I, I want us to level each other this morning. I want us all, before we jump in, is to agree on one thing and resolve together on another. And the agreement is this. Can we all just agree that as the family structure in our society has become less and less like it was set up in the Bible, our society has crumbled? And I think we can agree on that because it's inarguable. It's simply inarguable. In recent decades in our country, we have rebelled against the standards of family that God has set in his word. And it's time we finally ask, how's that working out for us? Poverty, teenage pregnancy, homicide, violent crime, long-term imprisonments have shot through the roof as the family structure has broken down in American culture. Pretty much all the societal problems and issues facing us can be traced back to absent or inattentive fathers, the rising divorce rate, our children being born and raised out of wedlock. 
as the family has broken down, so has society. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's past time that we take a closer look at the way that God has set up the family structure and, I don't know, give it a shot. Because ignoring it's not working. Which brings us to our resolve. Let's, let's resolve together as a church this morning to let God define the family. Let's resolve together to let God define its purpose and its roles today. Let's not bring our own stuff into it. So we journey through this, we, as we read these verses, if there's something that you or I are currently practicing in our lives or home that goes against what his word reveals, let's, let's not fight against it, let's submit to his authority. Let's repent of that. Let's have faith that he knows what's best. God knows more than you do. You realize that, right? He created this place. He spoke it into being. He, he created you and I. He knows the way that we're wired. He knows what's best for us. He knows how, exactly how we should operate in order for us to flourish and have the greatest experience we can. So it would be wise of us to surrender to him and just submit to his authority. Be wise, even if something we read today doesn't sit right with us, to just say, you know what? He knows best. I've got to at least give this a shot. So what I want to do is read these verses, and then before we unpack everything in Colossians 3, I want to try to make sure we understand what the Bible has to say about the family structure overall. So look at Colossians chapter 3 in verse 18. It starts with a bang. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Ladies, breathe. Okay? We'll unpack that, all right? Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Now, you must know the, the institution of family is given incredible importance in the Bible. It was established by God himself. It's the fundamental institution of human society. It's in the building block of family is marriage, which used to be common sense. Right? But now needs to be stated. Marriage was ordained by God in Genesis chapter 2 as one man and one woman coming together to be one flesh. And Proverbs chapter 2 tells us that marriage is a covenant between God and before God between a man and a woman. And Ephesians 5 tells us that a marriage is a picture of the relationship that Jesus has with his church. And inside the context of marriage in the book of Genesis, God commanded human beings to populate the earth. Specifically, he said that we are to be fruitful and multiply. So this, in his design, was to only occur within the structure of marriage. Because only in the structure of marriage does the ideal environment exist for the flourishing of a child. Because God knows the child. He knows there are soul-forming, identity-shaping, deep needs that each child has that only a mother can give them. And there are soul-forming, identity-shaping, deep needs each child has that only a father can pass down to them. And so when children are brought into the world outside of the context of two parents lovingly committed to each other and before God, already the ideal is lacking. In addition to that, Christian parents have a higher calling in the scriptures. They're told in Ephesians 6, 4, that your role as a Christian parent is to raise your children up in the knowledge of the Lord, pointing them to Jesus for salvation. Deuteronomy 6 says that the parents have the primary God-given responsibility to teach your children about God. So hear me, it's not the youth pastor's job. It's not their Sunday school teacher's job. It's not the grandparents' job. It's not your friend's job. It's none of those people who will stand before God and give an account as to whether or not your children are appointed to Christ. It's your job, mom and dad. It's your job. And to punt on that is to punt on the greatest responsibility you've been given as a parent. The single greatest gift that you can give your child is an immense, awesome view of Jesus. 
Now, there are a couple things that we need to recognize. First is this. God's grace simply never runs out, right? His grace never runs out. So wherever your situation isn't ideal, just know he's gracious. He's bigger than any hurdle. He's bigger than any statistic. He's bigger than any issue. So don't lose hope. Work, fight, claw, do everything that you can to line up your family the way God has set it up, but it's not always completely up to you. And so where the ideal is lacking, call out to God for grace. I can tell you, in this ministry alone, we have a growing list of young adults and teens who are pursuing Jesus with all they have, and their situations and upbringings were anything but ideal. So grace is real, and it's powerful, and it's available to you in Jesus Christ. Second thing is this, the Bible elevates the family to a level that's incredibly important. So much good and so much bad can be done within the context of family, so it's incredibly important that we get it right. But family is not the most important thing there is. And that needs to be said in our churches as well. And this is where we need to take our lead from the scriptures and not from preconceived spiritual sayings. I've heard many Christian speakers, even pastors, say that your family is the most important ministry you'll ever have, which I won't discredit this morning or tear apart. But what happens is this. Right? Often when, we, when people hear someone say that your family is your most important ministry, what they hear is your family is the most important thing. And I'm going to be honest with you. You're going to be hard-pressed to find a verse in the Bible that tells you your family is your most important ministry. Maybe you can make one work. But I know for a fact that you cannot find a single verse in the Bible telling you that your family is the most important thing. Matthew 22, Jesus tells us that, that family and marriage won't even exist in the resurrection. There's not even going to be family structures or spouses in heaven. We'll all just be the bride of Christ. And it's not that God's anti-marriage and family. He's the one who established it and arranged it. It's just that nothing's more important than Jesus. That's why Jesus in Matthew 19 and Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 both tell us that God calls some people to singleness. And that the reason that God calls them to singleness is so that they are freed up from the constraints of family to serve God's kingdom even more. And then we've got this verse in Luke 14 that we just like to act like it doesn't exist. Because we don't know what to do with it. And Luke 14 verse 25 and 26 says this. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father or mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Jesus actually turned to a group of people who were expressing by their willingness to follow him around that they wanted to be his disciple. They wanted to be a follower of his. And Jesus looked them in the eye and says, You want to do this? Okay. If you really want to be my follower, here's the level of devotion that's required. You need to love me, you need to respect me, you need to revere me so much that the love you have for yourself or anyone else in your life looks like hate in comparison. Listen, there are countless brothers and sisters around the world in Christ who once they accepted Jesus Christ as Lord had to make this call. That they could keep following Jesus and their family would disown them or in some cases even try to kill them. Or they could turn their backs on Jesus and stay a part of the family and they followed the call and they stayed with Jesus. Listen, in this culture and context, I'll go ahead and grant you this. It's probably pretty likely that your family will be the most important ministry you ever have. Just make sure they stay that. That they're your most important ministry, that they're most important act of service to King Jesus. They're not to take his place. And in your ministry to them, you need to be sure that you implant that notion in them. Your kids should never believe they're the most important thing in your life. 
Your spouse should never believe that they're the most important thing in your life. They should know that Jesus reigns supreme in your heart, that he reigns supreme in your life, that he reigns supreme over you. Because when you have him in his rightful place, that frees you up to love your kids and love your spouse in a way that's better than if you elevate them to a place that only he should be. And your kids will know, by the way. This takes more than lip service. They'll be able to figure it out. If you, if you really believe that you're teaching them that Jesus is the most important, but you have them out of church 25 weekends a year on a travel team chasing a scholarship, they're going to see right through that. Because the parents... God-given role in the Bible is for you to dis- disciple your children. It's for you to raise them up in the knowledge and fear and respect of God. And you simply cannot lead someone to a deeper walk with God than you have. You can't take them places you haven't been. Which is why it's so important that you set apart Jesus as Lord in your hearts, as First Peter says. In fact, everything that we read in Colossians, everything we're going to unpack today, everything we find in the Bible on marriage and family is only possible when we keep Jesus in his rightful place. It's the only chance we got. So let's make our way through the family as Paul breaks it down for us here in Colossians. In verse 18, he addresses the wives first. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. And in case you don't like that word submit, I, I looked it up in the Greek to try to help you define it. And the word submit there means surrender authority to. Which isn't much better, is it, ladies? Right? This isn't a recognition of higher status. This is a recognition of authority and headship. Okay, just so you know, this is the same Greek word used in Titus and 1 Peter when servants are told to submit to their masters. It's the same Greek word used in Romans chapter 13 when we're all told to submit to the governing state authorities in our lives. So God has arranged the family structure in this way. For men, he has charged them with loving headship. It's the man who is to set the spiritual direction of the home. It's the man who is to seek out and discover the needs of his wife and children. And he's going to go to work meeting and providing for those needs regardless of what they are. It's the man who's to establish an environment of nurturing and protecting and are able to create a home where his wife and children can be everything that God has created them to be. And in this, the man is to be the most selfless person in the home. We talk often, don't we, about how selfless mothers are. And it's because they are. They're amazing at it, guys. They're, they're killing us at this. But the Bible is clear. Men, you don't get to take a pass on this one. You are to lead the way in selflessness in your home. Now, the woman's role in marriage and family is to be his helper in all those areas. And if you think that role is demeaning, God calls himself our helper. So in granting this role to him, and he's, he's elevating them to a role that only is suited for he and them. And as this plays out, this is a very much be a partnership. It's very much a give and take, hand in hand, working together relationship. Because, listen, marriage can be hard, and raising kids makes it harder. So it's incredibly important that the husband and wife work together. They have the same goals. They're heading in the same direction, and they help each other. But in that, in that process, when it comes to the spiritual direction of the home, when it comes to things that will change the lives of everyone in the home and change where they worship, when it comes to following God's lead as a family, then God says that falls on the man. He'll have to answer for those. He'll have to stand before God and account for those. And the wife is called to submit to that headship. So listen, if if you're, I know I'm treading dangerous water here, but if you're a woman and you brag about how you're the boss of your house, 
If you dominate the way things go in your life, you control everyone around you, you find a level of pride in that, you want to control everything that happens in your life, and your family just know this, your friends might be impressed, but Jesus isn't. Because he has set up the family in a way that would be best for you, and you are actively going against that. And this is one of those points that people try and make controversial, but a lot of times their reservations don't hold water. Because they read this and they feel like what it says is that the woman has the hardest call, that the man gets to run everything, and she's just supposed to submit, which is crazy, because that's not what this is saying. It's not what the Bible is saying. And number two, where do you see what he calls men to? When you surrender to God's design, it's for your best. Warren Rearsby in his commentary on Colossians wrote this. He says, true spiritual submission is the secret of growth and fulfillment. When a Christian woman is submitted first to Jesus and then to her husband, she experiences a release and fulfillment that she can have in no other way. This mutual love and submission creates an atmosphere of growth in the home that enables both the husband and the wife to become all that God wants them to be. I saw this play out uh, in the life of my grandma Parks. For years, I observed uh, from, from a small distance the marriage between my grandma and grandpa Parks. And, and you, you need to know, grandpa was the life of the party. Uh, he just had one of these big, outgoing personalities. He held center court wherever he went. He was always telling stories. There's always people gathering around him. He was a teacher and a principal and a football coach and a war vet. And everything he did was public. Everything grandma did was behind the scenes. And she never resented that. She simply... Served, she submitted. And listen, their marriage isn't the only way this can go. God calls women all the time to public roles in the workplace. But I watched, every time we get together, I watched as Grandma always served Grandpa. And and she would do it in ways that bothered me. We'd gather for family meals. And and Grandpa would be holding center court like he always does and telling stories. And it was time to eat, he just wouldn't get up. I'm sitting like, why is he not getting up? And I'd watch as Grandma would go fix his plate and bring it to him before she went and got hers. I'm going to be honest, even as a young man, I was like, go get your own plate. Serious. I mean, come on. Don't you respect her at all? Right? And however I remember, though, I I stopped that long after he was gone. uh, Because I remember driving to Fort Wayne to go to my grandpa's funeral. And about an hour before the service, I saw grandma sitting by herself. Having just lost her husband of decades. And so I went and sat with her. and, And I was attempting to comfort her. Only she taught me a lesson. It was the most uninterrupted conversation I had with Grandma my whole life, I think because Grandpa was gone. But as she spoke, she spoke with a faith that I wanted so badly, I was so jealous of. Her words were just coded in grace. It was the most impressive conversation I've had with a human being on this planet. And it was so impressive because at the darkest time of her life, she was so certain of Jesus. She was so secure in him and his love and his faithfulness. And that's when I realized all those decades of lowering herself, all those years of submission and service, she traded eating first for Jesus. She traded getting her own way for Jesus. She traded being in the spotlight for Jesus. She traded standing up for herself more for more Jesus. And she didn't regret it one bit. She said it herself. And I've never forgotten it. And in verse 19, Paul comes for men. And here's the short version. Men, you are to make it the easiest thing in the world for your wife to submit to your headship. 
Because listen, man, if you love her, if you cherish her, if you fight for her, if you protect her, if you want what's best for her and actively pursue that, she's not going to fight against submitting to you. And, I, and when it says here that you're to love your wives, I know, I know how men's brains work. I know how it can be because some of you reading this is like, husbands, love your wives. Already do it. Nailed it. Move on. Right? It's a little deeper than that. Okay, you, you don't have this down because here's what the Bible says love is. It expounds on this. We're told in 1 Corinthians 13 that love is patient. Men, be patient with your wives. We're told it's kind. Men, be kind to your wives. We're told that love is not jealous. Men, don't be jealous of your wives. We're told it's not proud or cocky. Men, don't you have a shred of arrogance in your home? told that love is not selfish, man. Don't, don't you be selfish with your wives or your family. That it's not easily angered. Man, you better have a long fuse with her. Don't go flying off the handle really easily. We're told that love keeps no record of wrongs. Man, you be an expert in her strengths and all the good things about her instead of just focusing on all her weaknesses and how she's let you down. Listen, if any of you guys out there keep that imaginary list in your back pocket of all the ways that she's let you down past failing so you can pull it out during the next argument, that's not love, that's childish. Love forgives, love lets go. It's getting a little harder, isn't it, fellas? Wait till you hear this. We're told in Ephesians 5 that you should love your wife the way that Jesus loves the church. And Jesus loved the church so much that even though he'd done nothing wrong, the church had done everything wrong. He went to the cross and suffered and died on her behalf. It says there that your wife should feel like she's married to Jesus. I'm going to tell you guys, she doesn't feel that way. It says that you are to love her, not be harsh with her. That, That word harsh actually means not to make her bitter or cynical. Why does God have to include this in his word? Because he knows men. He knows that the moment that we hear words like headship or authority, then the sinful nature and wickedness in us takes that to places it should not go. Listen, fellas, she's not your servant. She's not your property. She's a gift from God. The two of you become one flesh. And so if you hurt her, you're hurting yourself. Don't you dare demean her. Don't you dare tear her down with your words. Don't you dare intimidate her. And this shouldn't have to even be said, but apparently it needs to be today. Don't you dare lay a hand on her. This is the height of pathetic boy behavior. You're called to be a man. And a man loves. And a man empties himself on behalf of his life. A man takes the focus off of himself. A man pursues his wife. A man pursues his children. A man creates an environment where his wife's gifts can be put on display. He encourages her. He supports her. He protects her. He works hard for her. There should be no safer place in this world for your wife than to be in submission to your headship. So how is any of this possible? Ephesians 5 says that both husband and wife need to first submit to Jesus. If neither spouse or if just only one spouse has submitted their life completely to Jesus, this will be impossible to carry out. Because the calls on the lives of men and women are so contrary to our nature, so hard for us to implement that we need the love and grace and power of Jesus to do this in us. Which is why the Bible makes this clear. You can have a long, good marriage apart from Jesus. But you simply cannot experience marriage to its fullness. You simply cannot become everything it was designed to be apart from Jesus Christ. 
Because women, you will fight against submitting. Men, you will get aggressive and selfish. Hurts will come, and you need Jesus to help you overcome those. You need Jesus to help you forgive each other. You need Jesus to help you live and walk in the ways that he calls us to walk and live. And in the next two verses, Paul takes the focus and points it at children and parents. In verse 20, he says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Listen, in the home, that, that, that children, it is in the home that children are introduced to this idea of obeying and respecting authority. And this is one of the most valuable lessons that any human being can learn. Because when that lesson isn't learned, when it's not passed down, then what happens next is entirely predictable. What happens is that that child grows up to be an adult who doesn't respect or obey authority, and this will greatly limit their possibilities. You're going to watch, they get kicked off teams, they're going to get fired from jobs, they're going to, it could lead easily to a life of crime. But more tragic than that even is an inability to respect and obey authority is an inability to respect and obey God who is the ultimate authority in our life. So God set up the family structure in a way that children need guidance. Parents, it's crucial that your child learns that when he or she doesn't obey authority, there are consequences to that. Now listen, I'm not telling you to be a dictator. I'm not telling you to be a screamer. I'm not telling you to be abusive. All that does damage, but kids absolutely need boundaries. They need them, and though they push through them and rebel against them deep down, they know they need them. And listen, one of the best ways that you can model this It's for mom and dad to be obedient yourself. Because if mom and dad don't live their lives under authority, they can't exercise authority over others. So we try try and instill in our girls the truth that Jesus runs our house. As a family, we're going to go where he tells us to go. We're going to do what he tells us to do. We're going to live where he tells us to live. And one, because we want them to live that way when they're older and they have their own home. But secondly, because it models obedience, which is a deep need that they have. And a note to our younger congregants in here this morning, to the children, you simply need to learn how to obey. You need to put this into practice. And I know you don't want to hear it, but it's for your best. And I know, I know, it's just not fair what your parents do. I get it. I know that they just don't understand. Here's what I'm saying. All that's irrelevant. God says obey. And God's not unfair. And he's not one to be messed with. And so obey. As long as you're under their roof, you obey. End of story. Because you need this because it pleases God now coming right off that Paul writes fathers parents do not embitter your children the Greek word there for embitter means to provoke to to stir up to incite anger and discouragement and negative responses there is a way that you can discipline your children that leads to life and there's a way that leads to hurt listen man I've there so many times more than I'd like to know that I've been way too harsh with my girls. And later, I'm just heartbroken about it. I'm thinking, man, they're, they're just little girls. Why am I treating them like they're grown adults? Why am I holding these ridiculous standards? You know what God revealed to me when I took that to him? Sometimes I set ridiculous standards for my girls because I want other people to see them behave and think I've got it together as a parent. How pathetic is that? Listen to me, let's just own it this morning. I don't have it together as a parent. You don't have it together as a parent. So let's just take that sinful, prideful force off of each other. And here's what I needed to do. I needed to repent of that evil and ask God to forgive me and and then go ask them to forgive me. Because I think that they need to see me admit when I'm wrong. 
I think my daughters need to hear me ask for forgiveness because that's the basis of the gospel. And this is why this is important. None of you are going to get this right. Just letting you know, you won't. You probably won't get through today without getting some aspect of parenting wrong. But hear me, when you get it wrong as a parent, please don't freak out. Don't think that because you lost your patience at snack time with your daughter, she's going to go crazy and rebel and marry some 47-year-old with 12 piercings who still lives with her mom when she's 19. All right? it's, not, it's not that big a deal. Okay, Just breathe. But when you do mess up, here's what, here's what you can do. Because you will mess up. Confession, repentance, owning it, asking for forgiveness. These are the things that will prevent bitterness from taking root in your home and in your child's heart. Because that displays the awesomeness of the gospel to your kids. It displays the awesomeness of God's love to them. For our anniversary last month, Corinne and I uh, streamed a marriage conference. It was a, it was a great idea that she had. She has all the good ideas. I don't have any of them, so I just follow her ideas, right? But in that conference, I heard something else that I've been trying to implement lately. And I haven't gotten the balance down yet, um, but I'm trying not to say no so much. I want to limit my no's because, because, man, I was saying no to too many things. Because I think as parents, our no's need to mean something, right? They need to land, right? So where you can look at your child and say, listen, listen, you, this is dad talking. You know I don't say no to everything. So if I'm saying no to this, you know I've got a good reason for it. See, our no's as parents shouldn't be about our own convenience. Our no's as parents shouldn't be about our own wishes they should be about protecting our kids keeping them safe teaching them some important lessons and pointing them to god because here's the truth life simply isn't easy for kids do you know that because a lot of times we laugh at that idea we think life's easy for them okay what does a four-year-old have to worry about i've got a four-year-old she's got no bills no responsibilities no pressures how would her life be hard but i tell you what If you measured our lives by the number of times that our problems cause us so much angst that we cry, her life is way harder than mine. Because here's the thing, to her, her problems are real. They're real. And in our parenting, in our discipline, we must be careful not to embitter or discourage our children because discouraged children are easy prey for Satan in the world. One of the hardest things... Honestly, one of the hardest things about parenting is that you can get everything uh, to your, you can do everything to your best ability. And your kid can grow up and still turn your, their back on everything you've taught them. That terrifies me. But if that's the case, and we all know it's the case, let's not push them that way. Let's not give them a reason to go. And lastly, Paul addresses men because dads, dads get involved. Get in the game, man. Pursue your wife. Pursue your child. Make them your hobby. If you're thinking, well, what about me time? Where, where do I get to do what I want? Well, not very often. Sorry, that's the deal. Okay? When you put the ring on her finger, you made your life about her. When you brought children in this world, you made your life about them. And you are to point both your wife and children to Jesus. There's no higher calling on God from you than that. And if you're too busy chasing your own hobby or playing video games or hanging out with your buddies that you're never around or you're never present, then you're punting on the greatest call you'll ever get. I'm not telling you you can't have fun. I'm telling you to bring them into your fun. I'm not telling you you can never watch a game. I'm telling you you should watch a lot less if they're not interested or watch after they go to bed. See, since Father's Day, I'll, I'll close with this. My father's name is Mike Parks. He's retired now. Uh, but for decades, 
There's a teacher and football coach, multiple school districts in Indiana. In fact, he has more wins than any coach in the history of Cloverdale High School. He points out that he also has more losses than any coach in the history of Cloverdale High School, which speaks to his longevity. But more than that, he was the greatest father I could ever ask for. As a teacher, as a coach, as a Sunday school teacher, song leader, lay leader in church, as an FCA huddle leader, as a father of five children, he still found a way to make me a part of his life. Even during his busy season of coaching, I sat with him and, and watched game film. He could have told me, hey man, this is important, I need to concentrate, can you go play with your brothers? But he let me sit there and ask really stupid questions. Why is that tied in in motion? Why do they have four linebackers and we have three? All these ridiculous questions that he already knew, but no, he just sat, he let me sit there and ask. You'd find me on Friday nights on the sidelines with him. You could find him at all my games and other sports. You would find him at night leading me and my siblings through a devotional in God's word before bedtime. You'd find him every single Sunday without fail, loading us up in the van and taking us to church on Sundays. When we began inviting friends to go to church whose parents didn't attend, he'd he'd split up into two cars and go pick them up as well. This is how dedicated he was to this. It's a short story. My junior year, I went to prom uh, for the the first time and was out to post-prom afterwards and got home about 5 a.m. on a Sunday morning. I thought, okay, I went to bed thinking, okay, this will be the one time Dad will let me take a pass. 8.30, knock on the door. Son, get up. We're going to church, right? He he wasn't letting it happen, okay? You find him talking to me for way too long, way too long, okay, making sure that I understood why I was being punished and disciplined when I got out of line. You'd find him admitting to me when he was wrong and asking me to forgive him. You can find him now in his retirement dropping everything to help one of his kids or play with one of his grandkids. And all along, man, he, he couldn't have done it without mom. Without her support, without her help, without her submission. And everything that I am today, I owe to God. But the most, the vast majority of God's goodness in my life has come through my parents. There are times now where I'm dealing with my daughters that I sound just like him, which was a horrifying realization at first, but I'm good with it now, right? There's situations that arise that they have prepared me for. There are values and priorities that I've brought into my home because they ingrained them into me. My life is so much richer and so much fuller and so much better off because my parents modeled Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 and Deuteronomy 6 for us. And though, listen, though I'm sure, right, if they had the microphone today, they would stand before you and tell you it was all worth it. All the sacrifice, all the effort, all the selflessness, all the grace, it was all worth it. But they don't have the microphone, I do. And as their child, I can tell you it was absolutely worth it. It was worth it. Because church, we, we got to get this right. We've got to start by keeping the family in its proper perspective. We need to submit ourselves to King Jesus and keep him as Lord of our lives. And then with that in place, we have to play out the roles that God has given us. And when we do, it'll be worth it. God will move and he will bless. And when we mess up and fail, and you will, he'll cover us with grace. He'll cover our children with grace. And our spouses and our kids will be unleashed to go and build his kingdom for their good and for his glory. And what more could you ever want than that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the roles you call us to in our house are so difficult. God, we thank you for that because we know we can have assurance that you 
have called us to them. You wrote them. We thank you for that because that drives us to your feet, calling out for grace, calling out for your power. It causes us to submit to you, which is the only hope we have for this. And Lord, around this room, there's such a variety of upbringings, good and bad. Around this room, there's such a vast array of current home experiences, some ideal, some not. But God, the single greatest hope for all of us is Jesus Christ. Single greatest hope for us to begin to pursue the way you've arranged marriage. The single greatest hope for us to begin to forgive each other. The single greatest hope for us to make the best of a situation that isn't ideal is Jesus Christ and his grace. So God, for the child here, for the young parent, for the single person, for the grandparent, for the mom and dad who are trying to figure out how to play this out in their lives, God, may your grace cover them today. And may First Baptist be a place where we model for this world your design for marriage, your design for family, and may our children grow up and be unleashed onto our society for the kingdom of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.